Hello, everyone. You might have noticed that the show has a new intro today, and that's a little foreshadowing for the guests that I have coming on in a few minutes. I want to start by thanking all of my listeners, and I want to remind you that if you go to scarletkeys.com, you can sign up for my mailing list. And if you like what you're hearing and you would like to support this podcast, you can go to scarletkeys.com and click on buy me a coffee. You can buy me a really expensive coffee. Um, Or you can join the membership where we have monthly meetings. We have uh, song prompts. I do a songwriting lesson and answer questions live once a month. And we also have a community where you can post your songs and share them together and and join a community of like-minded songwriters where you can share your songs and get feedback and just feel supported. Also, please go to iTunes and leave a rating and a review and share this podcast with anyone who you think might benefit. All right. So I'm really excited to say that my guest today is hit songwriter Justin Tranter. Tranter is an American songwriter, singer, and activist. Justin has co-written with Julia Michaels, written songs for artists such as Britney Spears, Gwen Stefani, Kelly Clarkson, Selena Gomez, Justin Bieber, Kesha, Imagine Dragons, Fifth Harmony, Five Seconds of Summer, Ariana Grande, Lady Gaga, Demi Lovato, Dua Lipa, Fall Out Boy, and so many other artists. From 2004 to 2014, Tranter was the lead singer of Semi-Precious Weapons, a rock band based in New York. Since February 2017... Justin has been a board member of GLAAD, an organization that promotes LGBT acceptance in the entertainment and news industries, and also has a line of jewelry. So I loved this conversation. You are going to learn some very specific things that you can use as a songwriter to take with you in your future songs. And also, you know, a little bit about, you know, how do we split a song? How do we get inspiration? And um, how do we negotiate, you know, the whole songwriting process in a room with another artist? It's just so packed with so many usable things. And it was wonderful to have this conversation. So here is my conversation with Justin Tranter. So Justin, it's so nice to meet you. It's so nice to meet you. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. This podcast has been really um and a, you know, a moment where you get to share sort of your background and what you're doing, but also really thinking about up and coming writers and what we can teach them. So I really want to learn from you today about, you know, how you write songs. So I'd love to just start with a little bit about your backstory, if you would share. Sure. I mean, where, where do you want me to start? There's, 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 a thousand different journeys to tell you. Well, you know, I know that you grew up in the suburbs of Chicago and, you know, I know that a lot of um, who you are today is informed by, you know, a lot of your experiences as a young kid and, yeah. you know, and how you're bringing that into the world and helping others. So I know you, you know, talked about being bullied and I really do want to talk to you about maybe some of the songs you've written have maybe brought you on the other side of some of that, if they have, if you found any healing through music, not just your success, but, you know, through some of the actual writing. <laughs> Sorry, my, my dog is having a moment. Is she okay? <laughs> um, the, you know, the, that was amazing. Um, uh, she just had surgery, so we're like on extra edge, but she's oh. fine. What kind uh, of dog do you have? She's a German Shepherd mix. Okay. Yeah, but, you know, she's a rescue, so I don't, really know, but she's, she's the best. Um, you, you know, the, 
music is interesting. It, it, um, everything I went through as a kid and all like the bullshit I went through. Um, I don't know if I would ever say that music healed that, mm-hmm. but music, um, was a great motivator to make everyone who ever bullied me feel real stupid about themselves. If that makes any sense. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, it, it, I just, something I loved so much. I was just from, from, you know, the movie musical Annie to the little mermaid to, um, just anything where like women were singing, um, it, it was like all I cared about. And mm-hmm. so that was just my love. That was just my joy was women singing is all that like, I just was obsessed with it. Um, and I would write about sometimes in my early, early songwriting, some um, of the things I was going through. But what's interesting is that I always thought I went to this amazing high school called the Chicago Academy for the arts. And um, it's such a, wonderfully diverse school um, from where kids grow up all over Illinois and sometimes even out of Illinois and in the suburbs and in the city and on the, you know, and Chicago is a very um, amazing city, but very segregated in, in North side versus South side. It, it's a very interesting, uh, that part's not interesting. That part's terrible, but it's a, uh, it's, so even in, in the city, if you grew up in the city, you can still live in a neighborhood and never meet different types of people. At this high school, I met so many different types of people. Um, and it was, I never felt like bad for myself because growing up where I grew up, um, you know, there was like a pig farm across the street and, uh, I always understood like the privilege that I had walking through the world, even though I was bullied beyond belief in public school. Once I got to this school, I felt so lucky and so grateful um, to be making friends that thought like me and felt like me um, that I wasn't really that upset. Like there wasn't ever writing songs about like the, the, the trauma or the, the pain I went through because like, I didn't really feel it. I was, pretty fucking happy. <laughs> yeah, so, I well I heard you say uh on an interview where you were talking about yeah, the bullies the bullies are wrong. They're wrong. And you know, I, I'm just curious about where that came from as a little kid where you were not taking it in. You were just, "Ugh, they are going to really regret this." It's like you, you knew know, who you were. Yeah, I knew who I was and I, I was I always knew they were wrong. I always knew they were idiots. I I always was embarrassed for them to be honest. Um and I don't know where it came from because my parents are fantastic, but I'm, you know, the youngest of four, uh, I have three older brothers and um, nobody else thought like that or felt like that. And they're all straight. And my brother who's closest in age to me, like the um, world was really, really built for him. You know, he's straight, he's blonde, he's blue eyed. He was, you know, in his youth, very traditionally attractive and like was pissed at the world. And was felt like a victim and was just angry as fuck, you know? So um, I don't know where I got it from because like we're like 18 months apart and I was femme and I was bullied and like using the bathroom in public school was like torture every day. But I still was like, but I'm fierce. You know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know where it came from. And I'm just so grateful it happened. And my parents, my parents are amazing, but I do think, um, you know, you're, I think a lot of how you're, it's like chemically how you're born. And 
Uh, thank you. Thank you, Marilyn Monroe, for birthing me with very positive chemicals. Um, it worked out great for me. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so that's your religion. Like if you sin, they're like, just say, you know, 20 hail Mar- Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> She's 100% my religion. You know, the <laughs> the definition of invent your own beauty, the definition of invent your own story. Um, uh, and with all, you know, I, yeah, she's, she's, she should be everyone's religion. Oh, okay. Well, so, you know, I'm going to, in my intro, I am going to talk about all your things because you've got so many lovely things to talk about. And I I know we set aside an hour, but there's just so much material that you've written and for your band and for, you know, other big artists. So I think I'd just like to ask you a couple of direct questions. And that is, you know, I know that you studied with Pat Patterson yes. um, at Berkeley. And one of the questions I want to know is what did you take from that into your songwriting? And then what are some things that you've learned from some of the biggest and best songwriters in the rooms that you took further with you into your songwriting craft? Yeah. You know, the, my education at Berkeley, um, when people always ask, how was it? Do you recommend it? And I'm like, well, it's, it's, like anything, it's what you make it. And between Pat Patterson and Jimmy Kachulis, um, it was 100% worth um, my parents going into horrifying debt and um, destroying their credit. <laughs> now they live a very nice retirement, so it worked out. That's it worked. Good. That's it worked good. out. It worked out great for all of us. But um, you know. Uh, it was a very, it was a Berkeley to, to go emotionally first before I go technically. It was a very weird place at the time, right? It was, mm-hmm. don't quote me on this, but I think it was like 10% women um, in the student body. And what year uh, did you graduate? I was leave? there, I was there in 90, I did graduate, um, uh, which is shocking for Berkeley. Uh, I did graduate, I was there 98, and then, but I did summers. So I, I was, I was done, I was 98 to 2001. I did it in three years because I, I did summers. Okay. Um, and, you know, there was like no women in the student body for the most part, which was like terrifying to me because I came from this magical high school. Um, there was like maybe like seven openly queer people. Um, there was a, 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 the LGBTQ group, like student group was called B-Glam, um, which like by B-Glam, by gay, lesbian artists and musicians. Obviously, I'm sure that, that they no longer use that because it's not as inclusive as it needs to be, but great name. Yeah. B-Glam is a great name. And I ended up being the president of that organization um, or that group. I don't know what you call it. Yeah. Um, but so it was a really, I, I, I was in like definite culture shock coming from such a diverse, you know, beautiful, open place for my high school. And I assumed, oh, this is a music school. This is going to be so just, it's going to be the same thing. And no, it was just like a bunch of like dudes with guitars who like, we're desperate to be frat boys, but not cool enough, you know? Um, so that was, that was what Berkeley <laughs> felt like for me um, to start. But then, um, and I did, I really got off on like classes, like counterpoint. I found so mm-hmm. fucking fascinating. Um, I love music theory. Ear training was very difficult for me. Um, very difficult. Uh, but I survived it. And I think, I, I think I ended up doing pretty well overall. I mean, my grades overall were great, but ear training was like, fucking torture. Yeah. I had this friend, Amanda, I can't remember her last name. I haven't spoken to her since college. And we were in the same ear training class for like two semesters in a row. 
And we were both just like, we're going to die. But so her and I would just like sit in the practice room for like days, like terrified of our finals. But um, uh. with Jimmy Kachulis, um, I it was the first time I ever heard about like melodic math concepts. Is Jimmy still there, by the way? Does he still? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, and, and it was so mind-blowing of like the tiniest little tricks of like start each section of your song in a different part of the phrase and make sure you're using new notes for the chorus. And, you know, obviously then too, it was more pop music was in a more traditional space where it's like use the highest note of the song in the chorus, right? Now, you know, 20 years later, we've run out of so many options that it's like, well, as long as there's new notes in the chorus, you'll be fine. But yeah doesn't have to be the highest, but just little things like that as such an insane fan of songwriting and songs to hear someone just like tip you off to those little, little things that you would have never thought of. Um, that really blew my mind. And then his, the best advice he ever gave to me, because I, uh, because of my, my dad, my dad's like a music, he doesn't make music at all. Um, he's a tennis coach, but he's loves music more than anything. And so he's like an encyclopedia. So because of my mm-hmm. dad and then, my own interests, I knew a lot of music, like a lot more music than most people of my age. Um, different genres, different eras, everything. And um, Jimmy was really impressed with that, uh, and which made me feel cool because like, it was just my life. So I didn't, I didn't ever think that was a cool thing. Um, and he was like, challenge, like, I would challenge you to like, learn like 10 songs from 10 different genres, play them on the piano, sing them, and just like start to feel why they're great songs, you know, like feel what makes them classics, feels what makes them current hits, feel whatever genre you're going into. So those little things from Jimmy was pretty mind blowing. And then from Pat, as a, I, I consider myself mainly a lyricist and I have written some melodies that luckily have done very well for me. But um, when I'm looking for collaborators in my current life, it's always looking for people who like are strong melody writers for me. Okay. Um, cause lyrics are my, are my passion. Um, uh, so I think whatever you're the most passionate about is normally what you're the best at. Cause you just pay more attention. Um, and so working with Pat was, uh, was really like life-changing. Um, both of them, Jimmy and Pat was really life-changing and, um, you know, I, I, when I did the summer songwriting workshop, like two weeks before I started official school, um, and I just thought it'd be a good idea to go and like learn about the department and like I knowing that like I wouldn't really get into songwriting classes until like my fourth semester. So like let me just like check in on it though. Um, and in that workshop, Pat Patterson um, had had hired Patty Larkin mm-hmm. to come and do a performance, and it was like a, a joint masterclass where she would play songs and he would explain to us and to her <laughs> why the lyrics were so effective and how the rhyme structures were speeding up or slowing down or how she was dropping the rhyme or how I, I remember she, he asked her to play a song called I told him the dog wouldn't run, which to this day is my favorite song of all time because of this moment. And because it's an amazing song and I get emotional talking about it. So forgive me. Mm-hmm. Uh, he pointed out that in the third verse, she says, I asked him to marry me once he told me he couldn't because this would be all that there was. And that verse is three, is three phrases where every other verse is four phrases. And I might get that math wrong. I haven't refreshed the math in a minute, but I'll say it's a phrase shorter that where she says, cause that would be all that there was. 
It was a phrase shorter. So the thought of using lyric mixed with some version of melodic math to like elevate the lyric really fucking blew my mind. And to really think about when to rhyme and when not to rhyme and um, how, you know, in a pre-chorus, if the, if, if your rhyme structure in the verse is like an A, B, A, B, and your pre-chorus, it's all A, 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 you're going to feel this, this momentum because the rhymes are getting closer and closer and closer. And then when you land in the chorus to let people feel safe and home, maybe go back to the A, B, A, B structure, you know, little things like that, um, like got like really blew my mind and really yeah. made me feel like, um, Yes, this it has to start with emotion. It has to start with story. Else, why tell? Why write a song? But to be able to enhance the emotion and enhance your story through technical thinking um, was just really beautiful to me and really exciting to me. Yeah, I'm yeah. Pat adored you, yeah. and you know he he you know and he's a straight up guy. He is not gonna say someone's good. He does not hand out compliments <laughs> yeah. easily. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, back to that just that moment with that Patty Larkin song um yeah. when you said it was a sh- it was one phrase shorter. So what that ended up being, I think, and we'll all go back and look at the song, but when she says say the line again, he said I, I asked him to he uh, I asked him to marry me once. He told me he couldn't because this would be all that there was. Yeah, so if that is was supposed to be four lines and it's three, yeah. that line this is all that there this, this would be all that there was. It's a yep. shorter, that's all there is to that, that measure or that, that section of music. And so it's yeah. supporting what's being said. And, you know, that's like the high art of songwriting. It's like, why are we doing this? How is it affecting our songwriting? But just, yep. just basic good songwriting is let's, let's don't use the same exact structure throughout the whole song. Let's surprise the listener. And that's happening yep. all over pop music. Yeah. And so let me ask you, one of your big, big co-writes was um, um, Believer by Imagine yeah. Dragons. Yeah. And there's quite a few writers on that song. And I know that that happens a lot in pop music. So how does that work um, when there's that many writers? Sure. So that one, um, which I'm not spilling any tea here, it's, it's you know, Deanne Reynolds has told the stories. It's, it's how it works. It's, it's in the room to write the initial song is just me, Dan Reynolds, the lead singer, and Matt Man and Robin, yeah. um, who are the producers of the song. So to write the song is just four of us. And that mm-hmm. is very doable and easy. And then Dan takes the songs to his band members. And the band members write, they'll all get together and write as well. But for this, for this song in particular, it was the four of us to start. And then Dan takes it to the band and works with Matt Man and Robin and, and finesses the... Um, the, the track side of things, basically. Yeah. Um, you know, but the lyric and melody, we wrote that in like the hour, the, fir- the hour we wrote it and that never got touched and never got moved. Um, mm. And so I think it's an interesting conversation where, you know, back in the day, you would never give people writing credit for their work on a track. You know, you would never do that. 
um, I don't think it's, I think it's, I don't think it's a big deal. You know, to me, the art of songwriting to me is really in the lyric and melody, right? That is what people are singing along to. That is what, um, is people are living their lives by, but to give people credit and a little bit of publishing for fleshing out the instrumental side of the track, I don't see anything wrong with that. You know, yeah, me- so you split it. The splits are, how are the splits typically out? And you, are you in LA or? Yes, I'm in LA. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, that's a, a good question, you know, because yeah. like in Nashville, they're just like 50 50. And, you know, everybody splits the song equally. So the average, the average of in pop, it's whoever is in the room when the, the meat of the song is written, those are equal splits. Okay. And then if people come in later, whether that's additional producers, whether that's a band, whether that's the pop star who didn't write the original song, but did make legitimate changes to the writing, um, then those people normally have a smaller split that we, the original writers, we all prorate ourselves to that. So we all stay equal. We all still walk away with the lion's share. But the people who um, uh, amplified the writing later uh, will definitely still get what, you know, they will still get something. um, Because if they made real contributions, they deserve something. Um, And, but they're normally, it's a much, for me at least, my thing is if you were not in the room for the main writing, I'm not fucking splitting this with you. I will make sure that you are respected. I'll make sure that you're taken care of, but honey, we ain't splitting it. (laughs) But in a lot of ways, it's like Sinatra, you know, hiring an arranger, paying the arranger. Yep. Right? So the track writers, in a sense, are the arrangers. Exactly. So there's, you know, it it, it was, that that big change really started happening when, um, with with hip hop, right? Where the track, um, basically like original rap is, is a, amazing fucking track and then the rapper writes their rap alone right and so that's like where these like sort of like all of a sudden the track really started participating in publishing because they were it, they were it was no longer just writing chords on a piano or on a guitar and then hiring a ranger to write all the parts or to program or whatever it was it was the, the person was building it all themselves yeah. alone, you know? So that, and then also to, so, so, so that to back it up, like those amazing rap producers fucking deserve publishing. Cause they wrote the whole, yeah they arranged it. They did the chords, they did the beat, they did everything, you know? Yeah. So, which inspires uh, the top line or completely the inspires. Rap. Exactly. Yeah. So that's where it started, you know, bleeding into pop of like you, you're, these people are, the producers are in there with you from the inception of the song, creating the track, writing the chords for the most part, right? Like before I got into pop writing, I wrote every chord change for every song I ever wrote in my life. And then you get into this deep collaboration of the pop world out here in LA and you're like, well, those chords are probably better because that's all you think about all day long. And I'm thinking about lyric first, melody second. Um, You know, so it's, you realize why the, why the change happened, but there's, you know, there's, there's definitely, you know, some people that still do things super old school um, where they're writing the whole song on guitar and vocal and just hitting record and then hire people to produce it and arrange it. And, but that's very, very, very rare out here. You know, it's also to the, 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 the excitement of being able to like walk out with a song 
like almost 80% done. Yeah. Like you, it's like, yes, the producer needs to go and finesse this and maybe you need to do another vocal day and whatever it is. But like the songs done, (laughs) you know, it's like, you can fucking get in your car and turn that shit up. Like, um, that's a pretty cool feeling. Now, I'm sure a lot of people, especially people who are from a different era, would be like, yeah, but to give someone an equal split on the publishing so you can listen to it in your car ride on the way home is a little crazy. I understand those arguments. I'm not I'm not saying I disagree with either side. It's just this yeah. is the world I came up in, um, where it's equal splits for everybody in the room. Yeah. And then, you know, which I will say the positive um, is that then no one's like, stressed about like how many lines did I write? Did they use my melody? Did they use this? Because I've had songs like Cake by the Ocean where I wrote one, you know, that is a very much my personality that it's a very much a me song. Oh no, see you walking around like it's a funeral. Not so serious, girl, why those feet cold? We just getting started, don't you tiptoe? And then there's songs, like a lot of the stuff I write with Julia Michaels, um, you know, it's coming from her very amazing, youthful perspective. You know, I met her when she was 19. Like, those are very much her songs that I'm there to help with, where Kicked by the Ocean was my song that the co-writers were there to help with. It's like, yeah, it all comes out in the wash of like, me helping Julia achieve her vision is just as valuable it's, yeah. That's an equal split. Like without yeah. me there, it's not going to get across the finish line. So yeah. it's knowing that's an equal split, then you don't like, I don't, my ego doesn't get in the way of like, I need to make sure I do more heavy lifting when I am with Julia because I want to make sure I get paid. It's like, no, yeah. she understands that what I'm bringing to the table is very valuable. And it takes a pressure off and you can just be there in service of the song. Exactly. It's like, oh wait, yeah, you did have 80% of the ideas and they were fucking great, but I was smart enough to say those were good, you know, yeah. and then, and then made them even better, you know? Yeah. yeah. So did you co-write issues with her? Yes, I did. Okay. I love that song. That So how did that work? Because it seems to me in her style, she's just very rhythmic in her melodic ideas. It's her, her Fabulous. rhythms and her melodies are like bonkers. And you, what's so funny is when you're in the room with her, it's so natural and that's just who she is. Yeah. That you don't really realize it until you like hear another artist try to sing them. And you're like, or, you know, I, I don't really perform anymore unless it's for charity. And I did perform Issues for a charity event once. And I was like, oh my God, this song is really fucking hard to sing. <laughs> like, this is yeah. nuts. Like, she's not a big belter, but the intricacies of her melodies, yeah. you don't realize how 
odd they are. Yeah. Until you try to fucking put your mouth on it. And then you're like, oh, this is crazy. You're yeah. crazy. <laughs> yeah. So was that, how was that for you now? Did, so she's come, is she in there, you know, writing melodies with all of those rhythms and then you're trying to match a lyric to those crazy rhythms? Yeah. You know, she's, it's, um, she's such an uh, emotional writer, especially in the, in the first couple of years together, because like I said, she was 19, 20, 21, 22. And, um, to anyone's listening who might be a slightly older writer, uh, and I love, by the way, we love older writers. I didn't have my first hit till I was 33. Uh, and I know that's very young, but in the music business, that's not young. Yeah. Um, and I'm 42 now and still kicking ass. So like their age is not real, but I will say this, the rawness and the urgency that a 20 year old is going to bring to the concept. Um, it's not, you're, there's, you can't compete with it. <laughs> you can't like, you know, like when I, so I was what, 34, maybe 35 when we wrote issues and she was, I, I'm, I'm going to get the math wrong, but the gist, like she was maybe 21, a 21 year old who is upset with their boyfriend. You cannot compete with that realness. You, you know, yeah. you're 35 now I'm 42. And I'm like, why do people even date anymore? This is insane. <laughs> you guys are crazy. Um, just like have some good friends and like drink, you know, drink a martini and call it a day. Like, what are you guys doing? But I'm so grateful that I was able to be like, yeah, what you're feeling is really intense. And as your friend, like you're really overreacting. <laughs> but as your co-writer, fuck yes, let's go. <laughs> exactly. Um, and not overreacting in the sense that she wasn't justified to feel those things because her boyfriend's time was a piece of shit. Yeah. Um, so she was very justified to be upset with him, but more in the in the human sense of we shouldn't be upset about this. Like we're going to run out of water in 10 years. Why are we upset about boyfriends? You know, like um, be upset about climate crisis. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, the the you don't say that in a session because you'll kill the vibe. You know, don't. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> this is so not yes and. <laughs> yeah. Oh, in the session. Almost I'm like, out of water. <laughs> oh, no. In, this, in the session, I'm like, yes, yes. How dare he? No, but so it, it, um, it, it really, with Julia, it's really about, especially in those early days, it was really about capturing, focusing, elevating her mm. literal brilliance. You know, not afraid to use the word. Like, um, yeah. Uh, and that's what it was really about. So yes, finding lyrics for, you know, the second line or the pre-chorus or the second chorus to match her insane rhythms. Um, but it was really about harnessing and managing and elevating what was just flying out of her in a rapid pace. Um, Mm -hmm. and also being, you know, I, I, you know, we used to, when we were now, because she's a pop star, we, we, we just did a week together in Sweden. We still write together all the time. Um, but it's just not as much because she has a different life now. Um, and I'm doing a bunch of musicals and film and TV. So I have a slightly different life as well, but, um, now it's, it's a, a little bit more like old school tin pan alley songwriters of like yeah. line for line, like let's beat each other. But in the early days, it was really just like chasing her, magic and she would she would always call us like good cop bad cop like i'm a very positive bright happy person and she uh this is not spilling tea if you know her music or listen to her interviews she'll say it she is not that bright happy positive person so um you know so much of what happens in the room in songwriting is people skills you know and um 
I am very fortunate to have those skills from birth and then really having to hone those skills as a queer person who is operating in non-queer spaces. You really have to develop pretty unbelievable people skills to survive in these worlds, right? So it was, yes, writing my ass off with her, but also like making sure the room was giving her her space, making sure that she felt safe enough to be this honest in front of random, you know, 40 year old straight men making the track, you know, whatever it was, it was, um, the, the, my people skills in those early Julia days were also a huge part of my writing process with her. What helped you get in the flow as, as a lyricist, you know, there can be that place where you're, you don't have an idea or you could be stuck or you could be stressed or you could be intimidated depending on, I'm sure there might've been a time or two where you might've been a little intimidated by the person you're in. Maybe I'm guessing there might've been one person, maybe Lady Gaga. I don't know. (laughs) Oh no, please. Her first two shows were opening for my band. There was no imitation. (laughs) Never intimidated there. Um, Um, I mean, she like, you know, had to come pick up a keyboard stand and a random stripper heel from my house because she left it at the show. Um, There's no intimidation there. um, No, I mean, obviously working with Max Martin is, is, um, I thought was going to be intimidating, but um, in our first, the first song we're credited together on is Hands to Myself, Selena Gomez, but he just actually helped Matt Man and Robin finish the production. Um, So we never wrote with him. That was me and Julia wrote the top line and, such a fun day and I will never forget like suggesting the lyric metaphorical gin and juice and expecting everyone to yell at me and they didn't, they applauded. And, you know, it's a really, really odd metaphor for, um, I'm trying to be PG, um, but (laughs) use your imagination. It's really filthy. Um, so, um, so, uh, but I just actually recently worked with Max um, a couple months ago with the Italian band Munaskin. Um, and did you go to sweet, did you go to Stockholm or? No, he has a studio here. Oh, he does. Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. He has an amazing studio here. And, um, I luckily known him for years now because Matt, Matt and Robin, who are my closest collaborators are signed to him. So he's always in our orbit and I see him. And so there was no more like mystery, uh, about such a legend. But the first time we were going to write together in the room after knowing each other for six years, it almost made it even like weirder of like, now let's see. And um, uh, in like the first two minutes of writing together, he kind of had a lot of the melody, melodies already mapped out. And me and Damiano, the lead singer of, of Munaskin, made the melodies a little rougher, a little more rock and roll to match the band's vibe. And... Um, but the first lyric that I suggested was um, uh, uh, way back in high school when she was a good Christian. Um, I used to know her, but she's got a new best friend, a drag queen named the Virgin Mary who takes confessions. And that was like, and matching it, it was like, came out of my head pretty fucking quick just to pat my own self on the back and matched his melody perfectly. And he was like, okay, well, this is why you are you and I am me this is great. So it was like, Hmm. um, in those moments to to answer your actual question, my forgiveness, um, is that, uh, in those moments where you might be intimidated, there's two things to do that I always do, um, or stuck. Cause you also have, what what happens if you're stuck or whatever? It's normally, it always comes for me. the, The, the solution to all problems is, um, conversation, just start fucking talking. Um, 
Now, I know that doesn't work for everybody because if you aren't a good talker, then that might hurt you. <laughs> but, um, yeah, exactly. Uh, as you can tell from this, you asked me one question and I talked for about 10 minutes. So, well, let me I, ask you because, <laughs> you know, because I'm trying to, you know, be, be like the voice for maybe some of your fans that want to ask you about your writing. Um, when you say start talking, are you making small talk or are you talking about trying to get it, get some lyric out of them, try to find out what they care about? Or are you, are you talking about the topic of the song? Yeah, it's, I always just, I like to like have a conversation that feels just like a normal conversation, but I'm going to find the song in the conversation. Yeah. So if it takes me an hour to get to something deep enough or cool enough or fun enough or whatever it might be, but to find that more. So I will talk for an hour until I think I find what I need. Um, you and know, are you talking or are you asking questions? Asking a lot artist? of questions. I ask a lot of questions. Um, and then always make sure I share a couple very intimate stories myself yeah. so they don't so they don't feel like it's an interview. That they can, feel can like can you think of an example, and you don't have to say the name of an artist, but of, of a time when you can distinctly remember some of the questions you started asking just to get this some ideas going? Yeah, for sure. I mean, the you know, I'll 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 do a couple examples. Like one um, really easy one was was with Leon Bridges. We wrote um, a, one of my favorite songs I've ever written called Beyond. And um, it was, we did not have time. Like it was, the, the session was from like 11 to two because of either his schedule or my schedule. We had three hours and I knew that. So I just said to him, I was like, hi, it's so nice to meet you. I'm such a fan. I would normally like hang out and talk for an hour and like really naturally organically find a song in there, but we don't have time. So I'm just going to fucking go for it. Yeah. And I was like, uh, are you in love? And he was like, well, I don't, not yet, but I did just meet this person and there might be something. And I was like, okay, I fucking love that because like, there's so many love songs about like, we're so in love, this is perfect, or we're so in love, but it's toxic, but we're deep in the middle of it, or we're broken up and we hate each other, or we're broken up and I wish you well. But I, I'm sure it exists, but I, in that moment, I could not think of a song with, that was like, oh shit, this might be something. Yeah. I don't know you well enough yet. I don't know you, but like, there might be something there. So then you might just be my everything and beyond became the, the, the song, the lyric. Yeah. So that was that. And then like, um, a more, um, and then, and then let me ask you, so, yeah. so when you're doing that interview process and you sort of get that kernel of an idea or you go, Oh, that's our, that's where we're going. That's our GPS direction of this song. Are you, are you continuously just asking more questions about that situation? Tell me more. And then just, just waiting for maybe something that will sound like a lyric to happen from your co-writer. It, 100%. Yeah. It's, um, I just keep, keep going, um, and asking as many questions. And like, I, I might be like taking notes on my phone to make sure that I, um, don't forget the, the really magical parts and keep going. Or I might, it, depending on how the vibe is and if the, their topic they're talking about isn't too emotional, intimate, I will just stop and be like, okay, that's a great fucking song. And just like, expose 
the magic trick I'm doing and be like, okay, that's the song. Let's really dig into just that right now and ask more specific questions about just that. Um, there's uh, one of my favorite examples of it is, um, uh, I'm, I'm looking at the lyrics on my phone. I'm not ignoring you. I'm not texting. <laughs> um, uh, How rude. Uh, <laughs> is um, a song called Sleep at Night by the Dixie Chicks. Mm. And... Um, Sorry, the chicks. Um, and right. uh, hold on, I'm trying to pull up the lyrics here. Um, and Natalie, in the conversation we were having, and she was telling me about crazy shit in her life, and I'm not spilling tea because I'm just reading you lyrics that she released herself, so I'm not betraying the trust of the writer's room. She literally just said, my husband's girlfriend's husband just <laughs> called me up how messed up is that? It's so insane that I have to laugh. She just said that. And I was like, well, I hope you understand this is going in the song. There's no way I'm not finding a melody for that. Um, and so I found the melody to make that sing. And then we just based the entire verse melody on this really crazy, wordy, truthful thing that she said. So, Okay, when you say you found the melody to make that sing... What is that process like for you? Do you audition a few different ideas out loud? Yeah, or you know, like just quietly sing to myself, um, you know, and 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 get it and get it going. Like you know, quiet. I, I have to hear it though. I'm not one of those people who can hear it in my head. It, it, if I don't, if it doesn't come out of my mouth, I don't know what's happening. Julia hears the melodies in her head, and she'll sit there for two minutes, ten minutes, however long she needs to, and she's like auditioning the melodies silently, which is. Mm -hmm terrifying to me like that why does <laughs> why does your brain work like that do you have bodies in the basement you know like that that is um but it's so quick I just I, I can't imagine my brain doing that but yeah so it was yeah it's just like singing those words over and over until it felt natural and still hooky and you know something that wordy it's hard to make feel singable so you gotta you definitely gotta like massage it but it um it was a really fun experience and like and did you sing to an instrument or just without an um, instrument? To yeah, we that? we well, we co-wrote it with with Teddy Geiger, and she was um, building a track as we were talking, which is my favorite thing to do. Yeah. Um, where, which is another reason why the new school way for me works really well of a producer building a track while we're talking, because I find that people are a lot more willing to be more intimate with a stranger if there's like a soundtrack to it. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, going to a restaurant with no music on feels so fucking awkward, you know? So if someone's building a track while you're having this conversation, um, it really creates a, a, a pretty amazing environment of like, yeah. you know, and make sure the track is loop. Like I, when producers like, like are stopping and starting the track too much, like audition, like 17, you know, snare drum, snare sounds. And I'm like, no one cares about your snare sound right now. Like, please, you can do that at your own time tonight. You know, like do it over the weekend. I don't want to hear that. But like, yeah. Um, um, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. Having that, that track while you have these conversations, is pretty amazing. So yeah, Teddy, um, she was playing guitar and building drums out. Um, while we were talking about this crazy thing happening in Natalie's life, and boom, there's the song. And boom, there it is. Yeah. So let me ask you, because you moved to L.A., and were you still the lead singer of your band, and was that still the thing that you went to L.A. to do? 
Yes, we came to LA to, we thought, you know, we came from like the rock world where we thought making an album took, you know, at the most six weeks. Um, and we already had like 10 songs we liked and Tricky Stewart, who's a brilliant producer who did Umbrella and Single Ladies and just did um, Beyonce's Break My Soul. Mm-hmm. And the list of his accomplishments goes on and on. And one of, the, one of the most special producers of the last 20 years and one of the nicest human beings. Um, just fucking goofball. Um, he wanted to work with a band that was a big deal for us. And we were going to like take this swing at like, what does a rock band sound like if, it maybe could be on the radio and it could be and, and tricky was our favorite producer making pop music at the time. So it was, we were, we were pretty excited and we came out here thinking like, all right, we have 10 songs we love. Like hopefully we'll get to write like five more with him or people on his team, whatever it takes. Um, and we'll get then like, those will probably be the singles and then like, we'll be good. And he was like, no, 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 no. Like after we came out here, he was like, no, no, this is like a year at least. Like you're going to write like a hundred songs. And I was like, oh, <laughs> which so grateful for because that showed me how the L.A. pop world works, yeah. um, how these sessions work. And I would go into some sessions with just like one other band member or sometimes the whole band or however it, however it happened. And Well, so you and your band, Semi-Precious Weapons, yes. um, went out to L.A. together and you for to get a did you have a record deal or were you going out there to get a record deal you had that was that was um gonna be our third record deal okay so we were signed to razor and tie then we were signed to interscope and then this album because tricky had just become the head of anr at epic we were going to it was through epic so it was that was our third record deal with trick and with tricky you know executive producing the album and being our anr um, and so go through that process and then it's, um, you know, Tricky decides to leave Epic, which then we get dropped as well in that process. And, um, but Tricky still loved us and was like, well, let's find another home to put this out on and all that stuff. But Tricky was always the best and always fighting for us and fighting for me. But it was really Tricky going, a couple songs that we had written for the band felt like way too pop. Like we would lose our, our fan base wasn't massive, but it was very passionate. And we wanted to make sure that we were taking them on the journey, like not just fully changing who we are, but like progressing in an honest way. And he, on some of these songs that were really pop, he was like, Hey, can I play this for this pop star or that pop star? And we were like, "Uh, of course you can. And that kind of got my wheels turning of like, maybe now that we're getting dropped from Epic, our third time being dropped, like maybe this is something I should look in to doing. And I went to Atlanta one time to write with Tricky. He lived here, but he also had a studio in Atlanta. I went to him to like write stuff. And, and then just asked my, you know, the band had a publishing deal and just asked our publishers like, Hey, while we like figure out while Tricky's trying to help us figure out what label could release this album we just made. Cause Epic's not going to, um, could you maybe put me in sessions? Cause like, I'm kind of doing it accidentally through Tricky. Um, but like, you know, he's fucking amazing, but he's just one producer. Like, is there other people I could try this with and other artists? And um, they luckily said yes. And slowly but surely, they just, you know, got me one session a week and then two sessions a week. And then, um, you know, yes, I'm a great songwriter, but I'm I, I, I creating 
a fun, safe environment, I take just as seriously in songwriting. And I think because of that, I was getting asked back for like my publisher, like they, they couldn't believe basically every session I went into, they asked for more and, Oh, bring me into bring, we want Justin for this project now and that project. And it went from like in no joke, like in, in a month, it went from like one session a week to, I'd say in two months, it went from like one session a week to like 12. Um, mm-hmm. It was like bananas. And then, you know, we had made this album. I still wanted to put it out. So Tricky put it out through his company with distribution through Capital. And like we went and did the whole thing. The album was called Aviation. And the song Aviation High started climbing at Alternative. And then it fell off. And we were just like back in the same thing where the band was again. And when we weren't doing radio, like alternative radio promo tours, I was just at home writing in sessions every day. And, you know, I don't know how to drive. And I was so fucking broke. It was insane. And living in a two bedroom house with six people and trying to get to sessions in LA when you don't know how to drive is like a nightmare, but I was figuring it out. And my band members were so sweet and they still are like would drive me to sessions. And like, it was just amazing. And so I kind of just had to look at my band, like when it felt like we were finally going to, it was going to go with the song climbing at alternative and, um, and really reacting, but only in like weird places. Like it reacted great in LA. It reacted crazy in Oklahoma. Don't understand, <laughs> but like, it just didn't get over the hump. And I just had to look at my band members and go, guys, like the writing thing is, is, is working. Um, I didn't have a hit yet, you know, but Kelly Clarkson had cut a song. Christina Aguilera had cut a song. It hadn't come out there was cuts and then follow up boy had cut a song and it was one of those weird things that like when you make a decision and you like fight for yourself that like doors open and I fought for myself and I said I love you all but I'm, I'm gonna quit the band and just write and like two days later you know because no one tells songwriters anything we know nothing two days later follow up boy posts on their socials that <laughs> Centuries is their next single and it'll be out in a week. And then I'm sitting there in the house, still living with my band members and they were so sweet. No one was mad. It was just more sad. You know, no one was upset. And we're sitting there and like the night it comes out, it's number one on iTunes. And then like, it just, and that's when iTunes still mattered. And then it just doesn't leave like the top three of iTunes for like six months. And I was just like, oh, cool. (laughs) um, And you know, what was what's also interesting for me is, and I'm saying this, and it's going to sound like I'm bragging, but it's not. I just want people who want to be songwriters to understand this side of the business. I thought that, like, because I was at it for, like, my first cut with Kelly Clarkson, um, which just recorded, didn't come out for years later, but the first cut, it took me three months of writing in, in the pop world to get that cut. Mm-hmm. I thought I was a failure because I was writing like 12 songs a week and it was no, 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 no. Where now that I understand this side of the business, the fact that people kept asking me back, mm-hmm. that was the yes. Yeah. Like, oh, no, the, the song's not right, but they're, they want you back. That is the yes. Focus yeah. on that. And then when I got the hit, the cut, so I got the cut three months in, I, for me, I couldn't believe it took that long. For anyone listening to this, that is not normal. <laughs> it's not, I'm a publisher now. Uh, I love being a publisher, by the way. We can talk about that if we want to later. But yeah. um, the, with, I have writers signed to me who've been signed to me for five years and they are so fucking good. 
and they're like just getting their first cuts, you know, and they're just having their first radio moment or, you know, it's so like, um, I promise I'm not saying that to like, I got it in three months. Fuck all of you. It's like, no, no, no. I wish someone had told me this might take three years. Yeah. This might take, you know, before you get a, a single on a big artist that could take eight years. And it doesn't mean you're not fucking great. It doesn't mean you're not great. You know? Um, so it, it was a really, a really a big mind fuck, right? Because as an artist, there's only ever a couple obvious rejections. It's like the label doesn't sign you or the label doesn't drop you or the label, the label does drop you, right? As a songwriter, it's rejection every day, even now, yeah. even yeah. where I am now, the career I've had, it, it's, I still write, you know, on average, I'd say 300 songs a year and still only 10% of those are getting released, you know? So it's still only mm. like a 10% success rate at my level. Let me ask you, when you write a song with someone, how much after you've actually had that session with that person, how much nurturing or changing of the song is there after that one session? Very little. <laughs> um, yeah. There's like little things like, you know, Cake by the Ocean, every lyric, every melody, almost every melody was there, not touched, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then <laughs> Matt and Robin are signed to Max Martin and Shellback as a joint well, Where did the mentor. idea of Cake by the Ocean come from? Because it was so fun and so novel and such a hit. Um, there was a place, there's a place in Santa Monica called Shutters um, that uh, the only thing on the menu, because I'm vegan and gluten-free and all these things, the only thing on the menu that I could eat there was a piece of cake, a, a gluten-free vegan piece of cake. And I took Mattman and Robin there the night before um, we wrote the song and we had found out that morning, right? So we did four days with Joe Jonas and Julia Michaels, this a whole posse. Julia, um, for I can't, so long, I can't remember why, but just couldn't come the final day out of, out of the blue. She couldn't come. And Matt and Robin were like, well, should we, you know, we had just, we'd only been working together a couple months and Julia was always there. Now me, Matt, me and Matt and Robin have a whole other with Believer and like the list goes on and on and on of Enemy with Imagine Dragon. The list goes on and on with songs with just the three of us as a, as a little posse, the three of us plus an artist, you know, but um, so they were like, well, should we cancel? If Julia's not coming, should we cancel? And I was like, we're not fucking canceling. Like I have been dropped from four record deals. Uh, <laughs> like Joe Jonas was the lead singer of the Jonas brothers. And like, they were just headlining arenas three years ago. Like the band had only been over for a couple years. I'm like, this guy's a fucking superstar. We're not canceling. So I was like, let's just be fun. And like, let's be ridiculous. And I got to know Joe and he's really fun and really goofy and really hot. So I was like, let's just write a song, a goofy sex song. And I was like, literally, I was like a hail Mary, like, Let's keep keep spirits high. Let's stay excited. Let's write a song called fucking, I think I said Cake by the Beach, right? Um, because we were eating Cake by the Beach and it's ridiculous and it could kind of be like sex on the beach, this, that, this, that. And then I found the rhyme for I keep on hoping we'll eat cake by the ocean. So mm. beach became ocean. Um, and so that's literally where it's like me desperate for success, desperate to keep the vibe going, keep the happiness going, um, throughout this absurd idea. And Matt, Matt and Robin were like, all right, well, if we're going absurd, here's this riff that was when we met each other at 16 years old, the first thing we made together was this riff. 
Um, and they were, you know, 29 at this point now, maybe 30. Um, so, all right, let's go with this stupid, ridiculous, not stupid. Let's go with this ridiculous cake by the ocean idea. And we'll write it over this riff that we wrote as teenagers. And let's just, okay, cool. Great idea. Let's just have fun. Imagine that. Mm. And so then like the, lyrics just poured out of this absurdity and so that the the first question of what what do you massage and what how much does it change afterwards is shellback listened to it he's like this song's amazing there aren't any long notes though everything's very quick yeah. um every every melody is very quick maybe there should just be like a post hook or a bridge situation with long notes and so the ooh like that whole like long note thing was just Shellback didn't write it. He just said, go write something with long notes because he's their publisher. So that was his note for the song. And um, his note was long notes. And so that was <laughs> something we added like a week later, you know? Um, so little things like that might happen. But So he was, he was noticing maybe it needed contrast. Needed contrast, exactly. Yeah, to, um, to stay. Yeah, to keep it interesting and exciting. And so if, you, if you're going to go back to the chorus for a third time, what's happening in there that will make that third chorus feel fresh again. So some, some contrasting rhythms and, um, you know, so stuff like that, little tweaks like that for the type of writer that I am, which is like, even if it's something as ridiculous as cake by the ocean, I'm much, very much a story first writer. And so for me, it's like, we're capturing the the energy of this story in this moment. Um, you know, there are brilliant writers, um, you know, Savin, who's a, a genius, had so many hits. Like, he goes slow. You know, songs can take weeks for him and, and going back and forth and ripping it apart and blah, blah, blah. Um, so he writes a lot less songs in a year than I do, but his percentage of what's getting used yeah. is higher because he's pulling things apart so much more until they're perfect, where I'm, like, trying to capture the magic moment mm. and, like, live in that. So there's no right or wrong way to do it. It's just how people's brains work. And I think for, well, for me, leading, leading with emotion and leading with lyric, I like, I'm trying to capture that, yeah. that magic. Yeah. So you, ca- so I like what you said about, you know, I'm trying to keep it happy. I'm trying to keep the vibe up. And, um, and in that fun, you know, really feeling how fun that was with those guys and being silly and probably laughing and really connecting with them. You really captured that the way that you felt. And then that's just transferred to your audience. And that's probably part of why, because you captured the, you you encapsulated the essence. Yeah. Well, and it was also just like that, that like we're laughing the whole time of like, can we, I mean, like, like the first lyric that I wrote was the first lyric of the song was, was Oh no. Like why you walk around? Like it's a funeral. Like, can I say funeral in a pop song? Is that going to kill the vibe? It was like, or like, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the chorus, the second half of the chorus is walk for me, baby. I'll be Diddy. You be Naomi because, um, Gigi Hadid and Joe Jonas were dating at the time. And she was stopping by the studio and told a story of how every time she's at a party and sees Diddy and Naomi Campbell, he like says like, you know, like, like, like amps her up and like, like encourages her to like, just do a runway walk in the middle of a party. Um, and so that's like, can we put that, in a pop song or is it just going to sound insane? Like I'll be Diddy, you be Naomi. Does anyone even know what we're talking about? And like, so we're like laughing at ourselves. And so I think that that joy definitely translates to the listener. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I'm a big fan of Conan O'Brien when he's not Genius. on his show, but when he's just talking, you know, and mm-hmm. being funny on the cuff. And he, you know, he was talking about, somebody was asking him about where, where all his funniest bits came from. How did he write them? And he goes, no, 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 I didn't write them. I was walking down the street with my friend and we saw this girl and we did this thing and we were laughing. And it's the same thing, right? He knows yeah. that worked and he brought that energy onto stage for stand-up or whatever yeah. he's doing. And it sounds like, you know, with songwriting, you know, if something feels... I'm sure you might have had those experiences where you're just not feeling the song and it feels sort of dead in the room and you feel tired. Yeah. Um, oh, in yeah. the past, probably not as much now, but in the past. And you know, if you're crying or if you're laughing or you're just having so much fun, you're on to something because you're really capturing that emotion. Well, you're, and music. you're letting, you're, you're like not being afraid, right? You're, you're not worried about, do I sound cool? Do I sound serious? Do I sound smart or whatever it is? You're just enjoying. You're just enjoying the moment, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. How do you, how do you raise your vibe and, and like bring a good energy to a session or are you, or are you just that way? Do you just wake up? Yeah. I mean, I, I like, I'm, I've been known to like wake up applauding. So, you know, it's like, um, <laughs> <laughs> yay, I get to live another day. But like, that's like, that's like a real, that's a real thing. That's a real thing of like, um, we we get to live another day and like we get you know I say to people all the time like especially artists because yeah. artists have so much more pressure than we do mm-hmm. and I'm so grateful that I did have four record deals beforehand I did perform all over the world and I did because a lot of writers who don't have that experience don't unless the artist is an amazing writer they're not taking their thoughts seriously mm. and sometimes even if they are an amazing writer they're still not taking their thoughts seriously uh, like and I'm like, but I have been there, there is so much more pressure on them than there is. Only other songwriters know who the fuck I am. And people in the gay community, but that's because of my activism. So that's a different conversation. But for songwriters who aren't activists, only other songwriters know who the fuck we are. If yeah. we put something out and it bombs, we just go to work the next day. Artists have all this pressure. But even when I say to artists, and especially to songwriters who aren't artists, is like, it's literally just music. And no one has to hear what we do today. If let's just, does this like, B.B. Rexa, I'm a mess, right? Which is her biggest song she's ever had without a feature. I, I co-wrote with her and I love B.B. Rexa. She's one of the most underrated talents in the world. Um, and... She was like, you know, I'm a mess. I'm a loser. I'm, a, I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm like, all, like, but that's how she was feeling. She came in and she's like, I almost canceled today, but like, my team was like, I can't cancel on you. And she's like, I didn't want to cancel on you because I've been wanting to work with you for so long. I'm such a fan, but like, I just, I'm a fucking mess today. And I was like, well, there's our song. That's how easy was that, BB? Like, this is the day you come to the studio. <laughs> you come to the studio when you're a mess. But if she's used to working with people who aren't going to listen to her and aren't going to let her feel safe in this, then I understand why she'd normally cancel. But with me, don't cancel because we're going to enjoy this moment. We're going to enjoy this mess. And while you're writing it, she's like, I don't know. Can we say this? Can we say this? And the lyrics are pretty dark. And, um, and she's known for like these dance features and these rap collaborations. And like, she's not, you know, that anyway. And I was like, Beauty, no one has to hear it. Like, let's just write the song and stop thinking about what Twitter's going to already say. 
Like, let's just write the song right now. And if no one has to hear it, they never hear it. And then, of course, it ends up being her biggest hit without a feature in her whole career. So, um, and then, and the title of the song is "I'm a Mess." I'm a mess. Oh, yeah, that's a great title. But see, that's yeah. your gift. You know, you are noticing. You're really like the language is. Most people talk, and no one really stops to go. Wait, what did you say? And yeah. you're there, like catching the gold as it. It's Stargate always says it's like um, they're like they watch me like you know they the way that they work with melodies normally is they they love melody writers who just get in the booth and freestyle and then they'll go either on the spot or two days later or a week later they'll comp the melody and they'll build the structure and then bring someone back in to write lyrics to that melody and they said like with me it's like I'm comping the conversation mm-hmm. so. While they send someone in the booth to sing melodies and they comp that, I have a conversation normally with the artist, but sometimes with a, with a fellow co-writer who's not an artist, and I I comp the conversation. I find the best part. So that's like, you never you I never run out of ideas because there's always a, a new conversation to have. Always. Do you do you show up with ideas to a session, or do you just trust that something will be said and you will catch it? Um, I used to. I used to show up with ideas to every session. Um, you know, like Fall Out Boy Centuries. Like I had like that main lyric, like you'll remember me for centuries, and other lyrics, like before I even got to the session. Um, but now, I mean, it's also like you know, I've run out of ideas. Um, and two, it's like. I have, if I'm, especially if I'm writing for the artist or like Bad at Love Halsey, I did have that title before I got there, but she brought that song to life. The verses she basically wrote alone with all these very personal stories. And she's so, she's a fucking great writer, a very underrated writer. She's amazing. Um, But if I'm going to be with the artist, I want, I really want them to feel like this is their song and only their song. Mm. Like that is it, you know? So if I come in with an idea planned, they're not going to feel, they're going to feel like someone just told them what to say, you know? Um, Whereas if I can pull the song out of their conversation, whether they're a great writer or they're not a good writer, either way, it's their song. They're going to have to perform this. Hopefully it's a hit and they perform it for the rest of their life. Like they deserve to feel like it belongs to them and nobody else. And I always love to say, you know, it's it's like improv, the rule of improv, yes, and we're not saying no. But never. But when you are thinking, <laughs> like that's you know, have you ever had a moment where you've had to because you're so kind and like I can see your skills, like your life coach, your psychologist, your friend, <laughs> like I can see all of the the hats you're wearing to make to bring out the best in the artist. Um when have you had moments where you really felt like that's just not the line. How do you say no? How do you move someone away from? Yeah, it's um, focus on the positive. Always focus on the positive. So it's um, like if they, if they suggest a line that just doesn't feel right, there's got to be like one word in there you can use. <laughs> you know, like, because if you shut the whole thing down, yeah. depending on who the collaborator is, if you shut the whole thing down, then they're going to shut down for the rest of the day. You know, so it's like, I always like find that or, or, or a great one. It's like, you know, but what, but with the first, you're real, when we were talking about this, right? See, for me, it's all oh, the conversation saves you in so many ways. When we were talking about this, what you said was this. So that, that's the, that's the fucking truth. That's what no other professional writer is going to come up with right now, because this came from 
your mouth and your truth. So that's what we do. So, and you can always go back to that. And like, yeah. but when you said it, you said this, so that we like, yes, we need to fit it into the melody, but like, let's stay as true to that as we can. Let's make that the coolest version, not this random other thing you just came up with, you know? So it's always, always go for the positive. Um, and then also sometimes this is a big one. This is a big one. Sometimes you're wrong. <laughs> and, Wait, what? <laughs> so go on the journey that like, you know, there's certain artists I work with, you know, coming from the, the music I love being Ani DeFranco, Patty Griffin, Patty Larkin, Stevie Nicks, Paula Cole, Courtney Love, like these very, very brilliant, brilliant female lyricists, like brilliant female lyricists. A lot of the music I make is not music I like. So like if someone is going, like if you're the best at that world, who am I to be like, I think that that lyric's cheesy? Who am I? Because like, I don't, the music that I think is brilliant is almost never on the radio. <laughs> so like, who am I to shoot that down let, let's explore it. Let me find out why you think, I'm not going to say this, it's, what, it's, it's only internal. Let yeah. me find out why you think that's good. <laughs> and let me see what, let's, let's explore that for a while. And then I might go, I'm, it might be, I, the song comes out and I still hate half the lyrics, but you know, my parents can retire now, you know? So it's like, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's also like about what, what's your goal here? What's yeah. the goal? You're and in work, service of the artist. I, and I work on some projects where a lot of the musicals I do, um, it, I'm in charge. That's mine. That's it. You know, Pat Passon actually came and saw the first concert version of my musical in Boston and, or at Harvard. And that is, I'm, no lyric is going by that I don't love. Yeah. But then again, that's not even true because it's a musical. So sometimes the storytelling is going to require a lyric that might be a little too on the nose for my taste. Mm -hmm. But if we don't, if we don't, the audience is going to be confused as shit. <laughs> you know? So like, right. even, even in that situation where like I am, when it comes to the music, I have co-writers who are brilliant, but like they would, they would tell you that I'm definitely the boss of that, of that project. And I still have to be like some lyrics like, I, yeah, that's really, really just, saying it, isn't it? There's no poetry to that at all, but I need to make sure the audience isn't confused, you know? So One of the songs from that musical, um, Dear Everything, it, yes. I just think that's beautiful. It's a beautiful, the lyric you. is fabulous and the melody is great. Did you write the melody as well? Uh, I wrote the melodies with Caroline Pennell, who, who she's, she's a fucking genius. Amazing. And, Her artist project, she goes by Carol Addis. Yeah. Um, and some of the most devastatingly confessional lyrics you will ever hear in your life. She has a song called Crying During Sex that is like, the, some, the fact that someone was brave enough to release that song is like, she deserves the whole world for it. So definitely, if you're listening, please check out Carol Addis. She's a genius. Well, do you have time for a couple of questions from yes, listeners? Yeah, it's, I would, I, you can definitely have 10 more minutes of my time because it's my fault that this went over because I just <laughs> talked in circles. So please. I just want to get a couple questions and I know you're going to, you have to run and write like 10 more hits today. <laughs> um, but um, so I have a couple of members in my membership and Ali Alvarado wanted to ask you, because you write in so many different styles. Um, she says she hears trap beats, disco rhythms, rock anthems. Um, on the radio and she wanted to know like how you 
um, stay fluent in so many different styles? And um, how do you avoid lyrical cliches? Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, the genre question is really interesting. When I first started writing in those first couple of months, right, in those three months, those terrible three months where I didn't have a cut, um, <laughs> I, was, I was making the mistake of chasing trends. And it was right in that the DJ hellscape of every song was four on the floor with these huge, you know, screamy choruses, that, these screamy, amazing melodies that were but like just about partying or whatever, you know, like weird, a very weird time in pop music. And so I was chasing that hard. And then the first song that my first cut, which was the Kelly Clarkson song called Nostalgic, which is one of my favorite songs I've ever written. Mm. Um, so that was your big break song. That was the first. It wasn't a hit, but it was the, the, the first hit was Centuries, Fall Out Boy, but the first cut was Kelly Clarkson, Nostalgic. And that was a song, I, the first day I met these people, and now I'm still really close with, with, with one of them specifically, but all of them. Um, and we, they were like all used to also being in indie bands and like we had never met each other, but we all were like, we we're aware of our bands. And we just wrote like a sort of like an 80s, almost like soft rock song. Because we were all just like, this feels cool to us. Who fucking cares? Like, yeah. this is awesome. It was like if Yacht Rock was belty, you know, it was just like, um, well, not as many. Yacht Rock has a lot of amazing advanced harmony. We did not do that because, we, you know, we're, you know, anyway. Um, so we wrote something that we all just thought was awesome. And for all four of us who wrote that mm. song, it was our first cut for all four of us. So it was, it, so the, the, I, it's a great question of how do you stay current with the trends? And the, 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 the answer is like, some people are amazing at chasing trends and they fucking mm -hmm. kill it. And they like can either see the trend coming or they like know that there's like at least six more months left. So if they can like squeeze yeah. out one more and I, I am not, that is not me being shady. If that, if that inspired, cause some people do get off on that. They like, that's like a challenge and a cool challenge. I um, like right now, interpolations are back big time, you know? Um, like I just mentioned with my friend, B.B. Rexa, um, having this huge hit right now with the interpolating the I'm blue, Abu Di, Abu Da, da but whatever. Um, I hate interpolations. I hate them. Um, I don't think they're fun for me. I don't, and I get why they're so successful and so special because there's a nostalgia to the people who know it and to the young people who don't know it, they, they've definitely heard it somewhere, but it, they still think it's new. It, it, I get it. It's awesome. Not for me. I'm not going to fucking do it. Yeah. Even though like my first hit, Fall Out Boy Centuries, does have the sample of Suzanne Vega in it. Um, we weren't singing to that. We weren't chasing that. It wasn't, it wasn't a thing, you know? So um, if, you, if some, some people love chasing trends and I commend them because it's a fucking great way to have people hear your art, I just don't like it. So it's yeah. like, don't chase the trend unless it gets you off. 
if chasing trends gets you off, fucking go for it. Like for me though, I just don't care. I don't. Yeah. So the last question um, is from Rafi Arkin and he, it's, it's a kind of, again, regarding the chasing the curve, but so are you kind of just in service also of the moment that whatever artist you're working with, whatever they're feeling musically, or he wants to know, is there any research or techniques or exercises that you use to do something that's more cutting edge and ahead of everything? Yeah. Well, I think a big thing you can learn is if if you think that you're going to be able to know what Rihanna wants, you know, you don't, you're never going to guess what someone that cool wants. So just make what you think is cool. And hopefully it syncs up with her. And then if the artist is in the room, that is a very different question, right? If the artist is in the room, so for a pitch song, don't ever think you're going to guess where somebody is. Just write what you love. If the artist is in the room, you are there, you are in service of them. And that doesn't mean you bow down to them. And it doesn't mean like they're your boss. It just means like, I really like, I'm really proud of, you know, Imagine Dragons Believer because I feel like not only is it a great song, not only is it like a stupidly big hit, it's like the longest running song in Spotify's top 200 ever. No, it's longer running than anything. Um, but I feel like in that moment, um, Imagine Dragons had that first massive album. Then the second one was was great, but just didn't do the same thing. And my goal was just to like bring the essence back of like why people fell in love with the band in the first place. Don't repeat yourself. I'm not, I'm not trying to get you to repeat yourself, but what is it? And if it was for me as an outside person who's listening to Imagine Dragons, it's, it's there's this weird combination of darkness and hope in what it sounds very sonically dark. And lyrically, there is like this, always this hope in it. And so for me, it was like, that was the goal. Like, let me just... You know, like how cool it's this massive band that people are obsessed with. And like I listed what I like. I don't even, I don't listen to men sing. So it's not that I don't like Imagine Dragons. I just don't like when men sing, you know, for my personal at-home taste. <laughs> so, but how cool this this world loves this band. What a great gift for me to spend my job. Like, how do I like really think about why people love them and like do the best of that? without repeating yourself. Don't repeat yourself, but how do I like get to the core of why people love them? And Mm. that is so, what a cool gift to me. If I was thinking, okay, imagine dragons and we got to make sure they're ahead of the curve. And that's not why people love them. They love them because it's emotional. They love them because it's anthemic. They love them because his voice is a a gift from God, but we, I can't help with that. That just, he did that, you know, but like, you know, so it's, it's a, it's an interesting question. How do you stay ahead? How do you stay current? And, it's, it has to be, what is your goal for that song and that artist in that day? Yeah. And uh, if it, you know, Imagine Dragons, it's, like I said, it's, it's, it's about making people feel something with that band, you know? And maybe for people who are pitching songs and they're trying to be creative, maybe that comes down to production sounds and... 100%. And it's, it's you know, and, and, and production sounds, you know, the worst thing for me is like when something sounds like it was six months ago. Yeah. Um, 10 years ago, great. 20 years ago, even better. Or it sounds like it's tomorrow. That's a win. Um, 50 years ago, even better. But like, if it sounds like it was six months ago or like, God forbid, like two years ago, that's <laughs> terrifying. But I don't, for the, especially the, the, you know, maybe the first couple cuts there in my first hits, there are some random, you know, 
trendy moments or Justin Bieber, sorry. The production was very on trend, but me and Julia just wrote it over, you know, piano chords that blood pop had written. Like it was, it wasn't, we weren't thinking about the trend. They went, Skrillex made that the fucking, he made it tomorrow, you know? So when it came out, it was fucking so ahead, but so current, right? It's um, really interesting too, the business side of it. And last thing I'll say is like, Chasing these trends, because it's interesting that both these questions are kind of about trends and and all that. You know, Justin Bieber's Sorry is a song that I'm so grateful for, and I think it's so beautiful and so special. But, like, it it does not get synced in any film or TV things ever, which is a huge part of our income. Mm. Um, because it sounds so timeful, not timeless. I think the song is timeless. I think the sound is very timeful. It is full of time. Um, so <laughs> where something like Believer or Cake by the Ocean um, or Janelle Monet Make Me Feel, um, these things get synced till the end of time uh, yeah. because they are timeless. So um, if you're a producer who really gets off on having new, fresh sounds, then don't listen to anything I just said because that's this is not going to inspire you. But if you're a songwriter, yeah. Yeah. you're a songwriter, just write a great song. And if your producing partners take it really current or trendy in production, awesome. Or if they keep it classic, awesome. But, you know, yeah. Justin Bieber, sorry, being the peak of Tropical House. Uh, it wasn't Tropical House to me and Julia. That's a, like a singer-songwriter song to us. Like, we, we don't, that wasn't, we, that was not our business, and, but we're very grateful for it. Thank you, Skrillex. You're a fucking genius. You know, it's oh. like, yeah. Well, I have to say, I love your hat and your jacket. Thank you. And your chandelier. Isn't that good? And the mirror. <laughs> I love the whole, it's, is that black? Is your paint black? It's like a dark navy. Like a dark. But the, 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 oh, okay. Nice. The chandelier is is black. I'm a big fan of navy and black. I think it's a very underrated combination. <laughs> well, this was a pleasure to meet you, and I'm just so happy that you that you're doing so well. Thank so you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for making this happen. It was of wonderful. Course. Thank you so much. All right. Bye. Bye, sweetie. Thank you so much for listening today. And I also appreciate knowing that you are sharing this podcast with your friends and co-writers and teachers and students. And, you know, I would love to have you go to scarletkeys.com and join the mailing list. I have something very special that I will be announcing and would love to have you be a part of it. So please go to iTunes and leave a rating and a review and... I want to thank the fabulous Peter Sykes, as always, for mixing this podcast. Now go write a song. What's in a song?